Welcome to the B2B Vertical Marketing Podcast, where you'll discover new opportunities to grow your business from seven figures to eight from the world's most successful B2B SaaS and agency owners and executives. I'm your host, Corey Quinn. Welcome to the very first episode of this podcast. I'm super excited to be joined by Jamie Adams. Welcome, Jamie. What's up, CQ? What's up, what's I, up? I, I love when you announce yourself as Corey Quinn when... <laughs> <laughs> when I just know you so well now as CQ, man. Thank you so much for having me. Would you mind just introducing yourself to the listeners who may not be familiar with you and your background? Yeah, sure. So I'm Jamie Adams. I am from Louisiana, North Louisiana. I live in Dallas, Texas. I've spent the majority of my career after school in uh, B2B sales, primarily in the, you know, I would call the local digital marketing, local SaaS space. A total now of coming up on 17 years, which is, gosh, it doesn't feel like that, but 17 years in that space, primarily in the sales and business development capacity, um, started in sales, moved into various roles of sales leadership. Today, I'm, I'm the chief growth officer at a great company called Scorpion. We bring digital marketing solutions and software to local service-based businesses, um, I've been there, it'll be nine years in March. Can you believe that, CQ? Nine that's, years. That's amazing. It feels like working at Scorpion, as I did with you, feels like probably like more like 35 years. <laughs> it's funny, I was talking to some people this past week, you know, some, some days it does feel that way, but some days it, it's, like, it's like, man, I can't believe it's been nine years. It feels like I've been here like just yesterday was the first day. But yeah, going back and, and uh you know, previous to, to getting into digital marketing, I did a handful of years in, in, in consulting with Deloitte, cut my teeth and learned how to put my head down and work hard in that environment. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, like I said, business development and sales, you know, obviously there's a lot of bleed over between your traditional sales roles and marketing roles. So you and I had a lot in common from that perspective, you know, just mm-hmm. seeing the world through some other lens. But, uh, but yeah, now still at Scorpion, lead a team of our sales and business development organizations, uh, just over a hundred or so folks now. Okay. Um, when you couple in, you know, the, uh, the individual producers, sales leaders, sales ops, enablement training, and then some, uh, some rev ops things as well. So yeah, it's been a great ride and, and, uh, and yeah, that's, that's, I guess that's me at least professionally. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into some of the personal stuff here. Sure. Oh but, man. Uh, okay. All right. Well, well, uh, we'll, we'll kick off, we'll kick off on the business front. So for context, can you share, so you joined Scorpion back in 2014. Yeah. Can you share for the listeners, just some context of what was the size of Scorpion, maybe the revenue back in 2014? Yeah, sure. So I joined the company in March of 14. I think there was about a hundred people. The reason I think I had a, everybody had a number because there was a place that you could get lunch funded by the company in yeah. the office park where Scorpion was at the time in Valencia, California. And my number was like 122. But there had Amazing. been some turnover over the years. So like, you know, it, it didn't reset to like the actual active employee or, or, or original employee number. So somewhere in the 100, 125 range. And I think the company was doing right around 20 million in revenue at the time. Okay. And yeah, so that was the starting point. You know, it had been around for at that point going on t- uh, 12-ish years. I think Rue started, Rustin started it in 2001. So, you know, it had been around for a minute, you know, kind of steady, slow growth from that 01 founding stage to the 13, end of 13, beginning of 14 stage, you know, when I, when I joined the company. And just to create some contact, contrast, 
It was 20 million roughly in mm-hmm. 2014, about a hundred plus people. What is the revenue in 22, the end of 22, whatever you're comfortable sharing the size of the business? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's at the 200 ish million mark, you know, I don't probably wouldn't get into the specific number, but mm-hmm. yeah, you know, let's call it, you know, right at 200 million. Um, and, and total employees, total employees are just shy of a thousand. So I think okay. we're right in the 900 range. Um, yeah. It's a lot of growth. So you started at, at the business when there was a hundred people and now there's a hundred people in the sales org today. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 There was, yeah. there was Just nine the at the, t- there was nine at the time. Nine at the time. Okay. Nine, nine at the time. Yeah. And, and, and thankfully, you know, most of the nine are still here, um, which is, I think is, is a pretty cool thing. That's so, beautiful. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, five of the nine or six of the nine are still here. Yeah. Six of the nine are still here. Can you share with me what the company was like back in 2014, maybe the makeup of the sales team? What is the sort of the state of the business as you inherited the ownership of the sales org? Like, what was that mm-hmm. like? Yeah, so like I mentioned, there were, there were nine, nine guys. Those nine sold, um, you know, basically digital marketing services, websites, search engine optimization, advertising management, things of that nature. They sold that just to attorneys at the time. So the focus TAM was law firms, primarily B2C law firms, so your personal injury attorneys, your criminal defense attorneys, family law, et cetera. And then there was, there was one other salesperson that was kind of a part-time sales guy. And he had a relationship with Rue, and he sold some into healthcare. So we had this legal customer base of, you know, call it a thousand or so attorneys, actually probably a few more than that, probably close to 1,500 or so. And we had this one one other guy that was just selling hospitals, so that was the kind of the makeup in terms of the business. It was Rue Rustin Kretz, the the founder CEO, mm. really good friend of both of ours. Um, you know, he he started the business, and it was kind of it kind of just grew organically through his friend and family network, right? So a lot of the people that were there had been there for a really long time. They a lot of them kind of grew up together. They went to grade school together. They went to high school together, and uh, you know, so it was a very kind of friendly family environment. Um, you know, you know, there's been, I think there's a lot of companies like that, but for a company to kind of sustain that feeling for 11 or 12 years at that point, I thought was kind of unique and impressive. Mm. And there were some things too that, you know, from, you know, just, I guess, business process perspective that kind of fell by the wayside, right? Sure. At the expense of like, of that kind of family oriented culture. But, but, but I much preferred that it was, it was a really unique just an inspiring place for a guy like me. I prefer to work personally with people that I genuinely enjoy being around and that I want to spend time with outside of work because it's kind of motivating to do your best work, at least for me. So I really, I really enjoyed the, the makeup of the business back then. And, and, and candidly, I still, you know, it's one of the reasons that I'm still here. So. so what would be an example of a business process that maybe wasn't as dialed in as a result of that type of culture at that time? Oh man. I mean, you know, from a, from just a sales perspective, right? Like zero discipline around sales process. So not really a standard sales methodology or sales process, very sporadic, if, if any reliable use on tools like CRM, Mm -hmm. um, as it relates to getting your sales process. So just little, little things like that. I think what was really unique is that despite some of those gaps in process. And I think those gaps, I just talked about the sales. Those gaps probably, probably, they also kind of filter through the rest of the business, right? Through your your onboarding of new customers and your account management function. But there was such a focus on 
providing like a really great customer experience and like making the customer feel like they weren't just a number and a cog, like that they were actually like, they had a relationship with their account manager. They had a relationship ongoing with their salesperson that sold them. So, so that like intense focus on, you know, providing that level of experience to the customer, I think it helped kind of propel us through the gaps Mm -hmm. and some of the inefficiencies that we had from a process perspective early on. So it's probably fair to say that if you had a dialed in sales process, but no real relationship with your customers, you probably, probably the business would not have gotten to a hundred. Yeah. Especially at that stage. I mean, look, I think, I think it's important period. So I don't want people to think that as you grow, you should just forget about your customer and just focus on process. But certainly at that stage, when you're really trying to accelerate growth and you're trying to create some momentum. Yeah. I think an intense care and focus on who your customer is and just a, a genuine, vested interest in their success, it by far and away supersedes to me, like having your process dialed in. Yep. Let's, let's dig into the sales team a little bit deeper back about back then. What was the mix of, you mentioned there was about 1500 attorneys as clients back then. Yeah. Somewhere in the thousand to 1500 range. Yeah. I can't remember exactly, but it was in that range. What was the mix of inbound versus outbound? Like where did that business come from? Yeah, great question. So at the time, it was primarily inbound and Mm -hmm. primarily referrals, Mm -hmm. right? So small sales team, very focused TAM, right? One industry, one vertical, did a great, great job at, at, like I said, customer relationships and retention. And they did good work, right? So, you know, one of the things that makes Scorpion somewhat unique is we've got a very intense focus on website design. And people sometimes think, you know, websites, it's just a website. But look, for the local business, right? The website is like, it's like their digital storefront. And candidly, Mm -hmm. it's the only property that they own online that's theirs. That is, they can make that as true of a representation of themselves as they want. They can't do that with their Facebook business page or their Google profile page, right? Those are Mm -hmm. all kind of templated. They've got to live within the confines of those templates. Their website, like, man, they, they want to get that dialed in. So we built really great websites, and, you know, I think one of the things that we did was, and, and, and Rue did that was pretty genius, was we put the Scorpion logo at the bottom of the website. And that led into people, other attorneys would find a, a website of Scorpions, and they would they'd go to the bottom, they'd see the big Scorpion logo, they'd click it, they'd submit an inquiry and want to have a conversation. So early, early on, it was, it was almost 100% inbound and some referrals. Do you have a sense uh, or a feel for the percentage of that those that incoming business or inquiries was actual uh, referrals versus just a form fill? I think the majority of them were form fills. I would probably yep. put that number at ninety percent, and within that ninety percent, some would probably what I call indirect referral, right? Because it wasn't really inbound marketing; it was just. I'm an attorney in Shreveport, Louisiana. I'm going to go look at other attorney websites in Shreveport. Oh, there's one that looks really great. Oh, there's the Scorpion logo. So that mm-hmm. really wasn't like a, a marketing, a, 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 like an inbound marketing strategy. That was really more of an indirect referral, right, of the work that we did that someone just tripped across. So I would, I would include that in that 90%. And then there was mm-hmm. 10% or so that were active, like our customers are in the marketplace. Evangelizing, saying you exactly. have to work with Scorpion. Okay. That's right. That's right. And so you you inherited this team of nine, a very inbound focused sales organization, a lot of behaviors wrapped around that. I'm assuming I remember hearing stories about the one called closes and the yeah. you know, the gongs oh, yeah. and all those things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you, you stepped into the uh, a role as the head of sales. And as so what were the goals you were given? Like, what were the growth expectations that came along with you stepping into this role back in 2014? 
I think that was, it was pretty loosey goosey at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, my background previous to that, I've been at another digital marketing company. I was a really, really early on salesperson at that company, like in the startup phase of that business. And we grew quite rapidly. We ended up going public on NASDAQ in 2010. Mm-hmm. I started there at the beginning of 2007, I think. Um, so, so I, I kind of experienced this, this, you know, catapult of, you know, startup to super, super high growth to going public and having a pretty interesting exit. And the rally point for Rue and I and our conversations before me joining the business was about um, making Scorpion, you know, taking Scorpion from kind of like a, a really small boutique company to scaling that great customer experience that they kind of found lightning in a bottle with, like really taking care of their customers and scaling that in the same way that, that, that my previous company had scaled, but we didn't really have specific targets, Mm -hmm. but what I, what I did know, what I did know is that he, he was, and still is a a very competitive guy Mm -hmm. and he likes moving fast. He likes growth. He liked all the things that, that I candidly really enjoy as well. And I knew that, that we weren't, I knew day one in the business walking around the sales floor that, we were going to have to make some dramatic shifts in how we operated as a sales organization to reach the, the growth that I knew inherently he wanted to reach. And, you know, the first of that was like, okay, we've got to shift the mindset on not just waiting for the phone to ring or for a form to be filled out on our website. We have to create a targeted list of accounts that we want to talk to that fit our TAM. And we have to create a culture of getting our sales teams comfortable with calling them, emailing them, things of that nature. And candidly, that was the environment that I came from. My previous CEO, one time we talked about inbound leads as a sales org. Hey, can we ever, can we get some inbound leads and spend some money in marketing? He goes, I always spend a ton of money in marketing. And I was like, oh, really we do? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's it's all you salespeople, <laughs> right? So, which I, by the way, I don't think is the right strategy either. But I, I did come from a place where, you know, as a salesperson, you had to go outbound if you wanted to make sales and you wanted to produce. So I knew really early on if we wanted to grow to the extent that Rue wanted to grow and candidly that I also wanted to grow, that we were going to have to make some changes and get our sales team comfortable with that motion. So that was really the first thing that I tried to do was just kind of push the sales team into a place where they saw that value and what it meant to the company or what it could mean to the company and what it could mean to them also as salespeople who were commissioned sales guys, right? So the more that they sold, the more money they got to bring home and use for them and their families. So that was like a big, a big order of business early on. So real quick, before we proceed, I wanted to, you mentioned the word TAM a couple of times. Can you share what that means? Yeah. Total addressable market. It's basically, you know, who who is your potential customer base that's a good fit for your solution, be it a, a SaaS product, a, a set of services, but it's getting super focused on who that market is. Got it. So, so for attorneys. A, yeah, exactly. So for attorney at the time for us, it was B2C attorneys and really a handful of what we call sub sub verticals or subcategories. Mm-hmm. So it, in our business, we we take a vertical as like, okay, there's the vertical, i.e. legal. And then there's the sub-vertical. Okay, what subcats within that vertical? So it would be personal injury, criminal defense, family law, immigration law, bankruptcy law, probate and estate law, 
right? So these are all attorneys that service kind of your consumers. They're not working with big corporations doing B2B law, contract law, things of that nature. And for us, I think the litmus test at the time was trying to figure that out was what is the customer path of our customers, right? And, and typically that path was, oh, I was injured in a car accident or I'm in a, in a family situation and I may be exploring divorce or I got a DUI. Like what, if as, as a consumer, what actions do I take? in order to find an attorney and, and all roads pointed back at the time and, and honestly still do back to search, right? Going to Google yep. and saying, I need a family law attorney or I'm, I'm interested in a divorce or I need help with a DUI. And, and so that's how we kind of identified the group of businesses that we wanted to, to go after. And that, that was our initial TAM. And was that clearly defined by the time you arrived or is that one of the things you helped to define specifically within legal or, or attorneys? A great question. I think it was. I think it was inherently defined at that point. I don't think that it was. I don't think it was written down in a yeah. in a document, right? With the specifics of all the way down to our TAM is a personal injury attorney of X number of employees or attorneys and Y number of paralegals doing Z revenue a year. It wasn't that yeah. detailed. So you're, yeah. Um, yeah, but, but you've yeah, been I mean, being in business for 12 yeah. years at that point. It was very clear what the subset of the sort of the attorney market was a great fit for Scorpion just based That's on right. retention and results and all that. Yeah, exactly. Can, can, let's jump back over into the sales culture that you inherited. I think a lot of businesses and potentially some listeners here are business owners who have a sales team. Maybe it's been around for a while that have really been brought up on inbounds and they have a desire and ambition to grow the business. Uh, similar to what Scorpion did, and they need to find a way to sort of expand the lens of the of the scope of sales from just inbounds to to doing to bringing in sort of more of an outbound philosophy or approach. What would you say to them as some of the key things that you did to help bring this outbound focus culture to the sales floor? And by the way, I'll just say you know, my my experience as the CMO there. One of the uh, one of the results of bringing in more of an outbound focus to the sales team, which you were very successful in doing, it immediately doubled the business as far as size yeah. because we were no longer just relying on inbounds. We were actually going and having these proactive conversations that led to a, a tremendous amount of growth. So, how would you approach that, or how do you recommend folks approach that who are in that situation? I don't know if there's like a, a surefire like silver bullet to that. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I can tell you about the scenario that I walked into and how I thought about it at the time and how I kind of still think about it within the Scorpion business. But at the time, you know, I was fortunate enough to walk into a business with, with, like I said, nine salespeople. And, and from my perspective, it was pretty quick. I was pretty quick to notice that despite the fact that they didn't really have a, an outbound, like hunting mentality, what they did have is they had a, a an intense commitment to the business. They really loved working at Scorpion. They loved what we did for our customers. They loved the fact that we were truly helping, you know, small businesses. So I knew they were invested right into the success of the business. Right. And I think that that's important because I think, you know, Rude did a really fantastic job of making that so much a part of the culture, like the whole start with the why, you know, we've all read the Simon Sinek book now or watched the video, but you know, Rude did a fantastic job with that. So I had that to my advantage, right? That they were, they understood the why and they saw themselves as part of that. And I, and I don't think I had very much to do with that. I think that was just part of what I walked into, mm -hmm. right? So I think at that point, it was really just activating the muscle, 
mm-hmm. right, of of getting outbound, right? And, and, and look, the reality is like most people, I've met very few people who are successful in outbound sales that when you ask them, hey, are you pumped up about making a cold call today? They immediately answer, yes, bring it on. Like, I can't wait to get told no or hung up on like 15 times today mm-hmm. um, or go to voicemail, you know, 70 times today. You know, I think the, the first hump is like, is just getting people to build the muscle of doing it, going through the process. And, I, and for me, like the way to do that at the time was doing it myself, right? So, um, you know, getting in and actually demonstrating that, hey, the things that I'm asking you to do, I'm actually going to do them with you. Right. So, so I think that was like leading by example. Mm. And again, depending on the size scale of your business, I mean, if your audience is seven figure business is trying to get eight figures, they probably have enough time on their hands if they're really interested in doubling their business to actually go demonstrate by example or bring in a sales leader that is not afraid to get their hands dirty. And, and then from there, it's again, going in stages, it's like, okay, lead by example, tie it back to the vision and the why, Hey, by doing this, we're going to reach more customers right? Which means we're going to help more businesses, which means you're going to make more money and the company's going to be able to hire more people. And at the time that meant really more, hire more of your friends to come work at Scorpion, right? So they, <laughs> just getting thing, that, right? yeah, getting that involved, <clears throat> getting, helping them get the muscle of just doing the work, doing the activity, right? And then when you start seeing some of the wins, right, you've got the gong at the time, right? We don't have the, we don't have the, the gong anymore. It's probably a little too disruptive these days, and we're you know somewhat remote a little bit more than we used to since COVID. But, but, but you know you celebrate the wins, right? So you make your first sale from a cold call, or even you book your first appointment, right? You're excited about it. People around you hear it, right? So we celebrated all of those kind of micro moments along the way, and then after a while, like anything else, I mean, like going to the gym or eating healthy. I mean, you build that muscle and you get used to that habit it becomes a lot easier to walk into the office every day. It's just part of what you do. You pick up the phone, you've got your call list and you, and you go to town on it. And, you know, you, you, you certainly have to coach through the days where maybe you have a run where you can't get in touch with anybody or you're getting told no a, lot, a little bit more than often. But, you know, again, I, if, if I had to go back and, and just kind of, again, micro break down each of those things, it's a, make sure that you forecast the why, why is it important that they do this? What does it mean for the company? What does it mean for them? What does it mean for the customer? Right, help them build the motion and the habit, which again for us at the time was just blocking time. We're going to make prospecting calls, send emails, right, and then celebrate the wins along the way, and just be encouraging to to, uh, to from from that angle, and and then helping people when they may be having some of those off days. So that's that's how I, and that's how I think about it today. Still, I mean, it, you don't have to overcomplicate it, right? Like for us at this point, like cold calling, even as a, as a company of our size. Where we've got, you know, I think a lot, a lot of businesses know who you are in the marketplace, and we've got a good reputation. Even today, like that's still part of our sales culture, right? You come in as a salesperson here, as an AE. Now you're you're a full cycle seller, right? You're not sitting around waiting for an SDR to set your appointment or for an inbound lead, right? Part of your job description is you're expected to come in and 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 hunt. So that is awesome and super valuable. Thank you, Jim. See, you couldn't get away. From it. You <laughs> called, called me, called me, Jim. I can live with that as long okay. as you don't add the extra jam. All right. You got it, buddy. I'll try. I think it's an old habit, but we'll see. Let's uh, switch gears a little bit here to, to this vertical approach to that Scorpion took to go to market. Yeah. When you know Scorpion took that a vertical market, started with the attorneys. We'll talk about how that expanded in a second. But many, many of Scorpion's larger competitors took more of a broad market approach to servicing SMBs. 
of yeah. which attorneys is one subcategory. Scorpion went from one vertical to four. How did how did Scorpion approach verticalizing the business? Yeah, I think this is like really fortuitous of my path of which, you know, I, I would credit to a, a higher power. When I was at, when I was at my previous company to Scorpion, my first sales job in that company was calling on automotive dealers. So I, I literally had a list of every Nissan, Toyota, Mercedes Benz, Lexus dealer in the country. And I was cold calling them, trying to sell them digital, digital advertising. And I noticed, I noticed a trend. I noticed that number one, I was calling into a network of businesses that typically had a relationship with one another, right? So I could call the Toyota general manager in Shreveport, but he would know the guy in Dallas or the guy in Atlanta or the guy in Texarkana, right? So I had that network effect that helped me as a salesperson because it helped open other doors for me. I was talking to the same business every or the same types of businesses every day, which meant I became more intimately uh, knowledgeable about their business and the problems that they were having and how we could solve them. Right. And, and then downstream, right. What I would, what I recognize is that I would sell a digital advertising campaign to a Mercedes dealer in Atlanta, Georgia, and we would just crush it for them in terms of the performance of their campaign. And, you know, the more of those types of dealers I would sell, I knew that our team, our delivery team and everything that we're doing to actually execute the campaign, that was going to get dialed in. And you know what that meant for me at the time was that my customers weren't going to churn, right? They were going to stay with me, which again, at the time meant more commission for me. And it also meant that they're going to refer me more business because they're really happy with their results. So I inherently just, you know, I understood without it being very intentional, the value of like working within a single vertical. Right. So I just, I knew that from when I was at sales. And the other thing that I saw at that company was that there were other salespeople that took a much more horizontal approach to how they grew their book of business and how they grew their customer base. They would sell anything to anybody. And what you would see is you would see like this up into the right line of revenue. Right. But then you would see three to six months later, it just crater. Right. Cause their churn was so bad because they would sell, you know, they would sell the pet groomer. They would sell the balloon animal guy. They would sell the cash for gold business down the street, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, they would talk about, oh, you need to be digital advertising on Google and things of that nature. But we just didn't have a muscle for actually executing those campaigns very well downstream. So I took that, I just took that with me. I don't know why, I, mean, I never, I don't remember having a conversation around verticalization back in those days, but when I, when I went to Scorpion, I, it triggered again. Like I was like, oh man, you know, this is a company similar to what I was doing in automotive, doing the same thing in legal, but we had a problem, right? We wanted to grow a lot faster. And, and I, and I knew that like, you just can't stay focused in one vertical category and grow at the rate that we wanted to grow. So the way that we thought about how, the way that we thought about expanding verticals would be just simple questions like what other vertical businesses have some of the same challenges, right? That the, that the vertical that we work in today have. Okay. So that led us to, well, one, we looked at healthcare because we had a little bit of a muscle in healthcare. We had, we had some hospital clients that we built websites for. And again, same problem, right? Healthcare, you know, your only hospital only is only attracting a, a patient if that patient has some sort of need, mm. right? Just like the attorney is only attracting a case or a client because someone has some sort of need. 
So we, we map things like that. We said, okay, we've got some hospital clients. We've got a good reputation. We can get some referrals. And we worked with some big hospitals. We worked with St. Joseph's at the time in Southern California. I mean, these are big hospital systems. Mm. So that was kind of a no-brainer. Scorpion had a handful of home services clients, mainly like the dads, the dads of some of Scorpion's employees <laughs> own like a roofing business, right? So we'd build their website. And so, you know, again, but same thing. Like, I don't need a roof until my roof is leaking, right? I don't need an HVAC system until it stops working in the summertime and it's 95 degrees inside my house. I don't need a plumber until, you know, a pipe bursts. So, again, we looked at the, the customer paths of those businesses and we just tried to map them like, okay, are those similar enough to attorneys where we do really, really great? And so our, our kind of our, our mode of, ex- of expansion just became, okay, let's pick some of these verticals and then let's just get really focused and just see, okay, can we deploy a sales effort? And then later it became, can we deploy a sales and marketing effort into that, into that vertical category? And can we get some momentum? And then as we get momentum, we start layering on, well, let's, let's deploy another salesperson. Let's deploy another salesperson. And one of the things that I think that I'm, I'm quite proud of that I did drive really, really early on is, is as we expanded verticals, you know, we committed to going all in on that vertical from a sales resource perspective. So I didn't have salespeople that would spend a quarter of their day calling personal injury attorneys, a tenth of their day calling roofers, you know. Um, a, another quarter of their day calling plumbers. Like you were either calling on home service businesses or you were calling on attorneys or you were calling on hospitals. And then of course, later on, we got into the franchise business, which is a, mm-hmm. another story that we could get into if you'd like. But in the SMB or kind of the single local business categories, right? The attorneys, so legal, home services, and, and healthcare, but kind of became our, our, our core focus. And we took, you know, the first stop with home services, guy named Travis Carter, T-Rev, still mm-hmm. on our team today. Awesome guy. T-Rev, I want you to start calling roofers, plumbers, and HVACs. Well, I, I, I'm building this book of, of, of business around family law attorneys and probate and estate attorneys. I know, man, but this is going to be a big market and you're equipped to do it. He had actually owned a home service business at one point in time in a previous life. So it took T-Rev and all of a sudden, T-Rev went from being like the seventh or eighth best out of nine <laughs> seller on the team to the fourth, third, fourth, right? Just Why? by because, focusing in on yeah, that Yeah, just because he got vertical. focused on that niche, <clears throat> right? And he started learning it. And as the other guys and gals on the team were calling on um, attorneys, you know, he's blocking time, calling on HVACs, plumbers, and, uh, and, and roofers, and started catching some momentum. And... He became the guy, right? I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, even to this day, I mean, you know, nine years later, I would arguably say that when you think about home services, the sales org at Scorpion, you, you kind of think about T-Rev. You think about Travis Carter because he was the guy that raised his hand and said, you know what, reluctantly a little bit at the time, but, you know, hey, what, hey, what? I'll, I'll, go, I'll go give it a shot. And then, you know, as, as he got success, we, we laid on another sales guy and then another sales guy, right? So it's a – United States is a big country. You can't just have one person calling and expect to get, you know, market share, but – but uh, yeah, that's that's. I know that was a long-winded answer, but that's kind of the story of of how we ended up getting there. So if you were going to do it again, that would be a, an approach you'd recommend. So just to feed this back to you, so an adjacent vertical that was promising, maybe there was some evidence in the client book of business that hey, we could actually service this vertical, and we have some good clients, and let's there's a big TAM, big market to go after. Let's deploy. Let's start by deploying 
a dedicated salesperson who's focused exclusively on this vertical and let that person go and be successful and, and use that as a basis for further expansion. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the other thing that I would do if I could do it a little bit differently, and and again, this was this was pre you joining the business, mm. you know, but we didn't we didn't really have any focused marketing support against that effort, right? So I, I probably, if I had it to do all over again, I would have kind of coupled that dedicated, I wouldn't have changed anything about the sales focus, mm -hmm. but I probably would have coupled it with a little bit more uh, marketing support, even building out some, you know, dedicated landing pages on your website that spoke a little bit about your ability to help businesses in that, maybe deploy some level of like lightweight digital advertising spend, targeted mm -hmm. to businesses in that category just because i think that you could i think that we could have we could have recognized how big the opportunity was a little bit faster rather than just having a seller cold call on the list yeah absolutely another idea might be because there was existing scorpion clients who were in home services maybe harvesting a couple case studies 100%. testimonial videos to kind of soften 100%. the ground for the salesperson who's going out and you know giving them some nice ammunition to go out with that's right that's right so from a global perspective, what are some positives about verticalizing a business? If, if maybe you speak to a listener who is maybe not verticalized their business, but is considering that as a strategy, like what are some positives to doing that? Yeah. I mean, one, I think it helps you get really, really clear on your TAM and it helps you get really, really clear on, on product market fit. Right. So how well does your product, and again, I use the word product, but when I say product, I really mean whatever it is, whatever your deliverable is that the customer's paying for. It could be technology, could be a SaaS platform, could be a, a set of services, it could be a combination of any of those things, right? But, you know, what you can get really dialed in on, does my product solve this very specific customer segment problem? And if it does, great. You should be really successful selling it and retaining it. And if it doesn't, right? Okay, well, what tweaks can I make to just to 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 get value into that specific segment? Um, so I, th I just think from like a TAM and product market fit, right? It just helps you get clear. And mm -hmm. the the clearer that you can become, right? You're, the better chance you're going to be able to execute. All right. So that's that's step number one. I think step number two is that like think beyond like your product market fit. You know, when you when you can address the specific problems of a customer, then you can point all of your marketing collateral talking specifically to that audience. And when you're able to talk that specifically to an audience, right, that's going to resonate. The marketing content's going to resonate more, right? They end up at your website. And again, let's just say that you're, you're targeting, um, you know, coffee shops, right? Everything about your website is talking about, you know, how you're helping, you know, coffee shop owners or you're helping baristas and you're, Everything about your content is like addressing the problems of that specific segment. Not, you know, you got the coffee shop guy and then you got your clothing retail person. Like there's just complexity that, that, that comes with expanding beyond, you know, a very certain vertical. So I think, again, you know, you can get really tight on product market fit and TAM. You can get really tight on your, on your marketing content. And then I think you can get really tight on how you service those customers, right? Because again, you start, your employees start to know their business problems, you get to know elements of their business. You can give them advice beyond maybe even the things that you're selling them. Um, that would be beneficial, right? That's going to strengthen the relationship. That's going to make them want to spend more money with you and continue to do business with you. So basically how you scale kind of your customer service 
just improves too, because you're only focused on, you know, one set of businesses. And then I think that when you do that, when you get that locked in to ideally one vertical, and again, you've got to make sure that that vertical is large enough to satisfy whatever kind of growth goals that you've got as a business, or you've got to be willing to say, well, it's not, but it'll get me to kind of stage one or milestone one, at which point I can expand. But at some point you're probably going to, you're probably going to expand beyond one vertical. But if you take that really tight vertical approach and you pay attention to the things that I just talked about, right? Who get really clear on the TAM, really clear in making sure that you got great product, product market fit, really clear that your marketing collateral and your sales collateral and your processes kind of match how they, how they can solve the problems and needs of those businesses. And then really clear on how can you service them in a way that's going to keep them continuing to do business with you. You, you do a really good job across all those spectrums you document it, you can just take that system, you can take that blueprint, and then you can just go dump it into the next vertical that you want to expand into. What are some of the business benefits that you get as a result of running this formula? Like at like a company like Scorpion? Yeah. I mean, I think one, you get, you know, your 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 people get more confident when they're talking to customers. And that's again, that's from from the, the beginning of the cycle all the way to the, the satisfaction stage of the cycle when they bought and you're just trying to, to increase confidence and get them continue to do business with you. So in, in our case, you know, when our sales team is, again, they're verticalized today, you know, from a, from a salesperson's perspective, right, when they're calling on their, their client list or their prospect list, right, they, they're confident in that phone call because, you know, again, this is after they've been here for a few months or a year, but they've worked with, if they're an HVAC, selling an HVAC, they've worked with other HVAC dealers. They know how to speak the language, right? A lot of them, some of them could actually probably walk into an HVAC company today and actually be pretty good general managers or operational managers in HVAC companies. They know it that intimately, right? So when you know it that intimately and you pair that with your product or solution knowledge that they've got about what we do, their, their conversations are going to be more positive. They're going to build trust faster, they're probably going to sell more things, right? So that being vertically focused permeates the entire org in the same way, right? When we sell something and we move it on to the next stage of building a website for a customer, right? That goes into a queue of people that build websites for HVAC companies. So they can talk to the business about, hey, these are the types of call to actions that we see drive better website conversions, right? Offering 24-hour emergency service, um, offering same day service, right? Again, I'm just throwing these random things out there, but they can make those recommendations and again, builds confidence with the customer, right? When we deliver the website and their marketing campaign starts and they move to an account management function, same thing, right? Account managers can talk to them about, Hey, these are the types of strategies we're going to try to execute. And here's the way that they work for other customers like you in the past. So those are the business benefits. And of course, those things lead to higher close rates, Right more customer satisfaction, more retention, more revenue. So, you know, those are the things that, you know, from a financial perspective, that's how they show up, right? But I would say that they're more meaningful just in the human connection. One thing I would add to that in my, in my experience is that when done really well over a long enough period of time is that you build up a great reputation in the industry, which, which results in word of mouth. Amen. And that's the, sort of the holy grail, right? 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you want you want the the leads coming in super warm from a client who's been blown away by the value they've been getting, right? Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. It's funny you mentioned that. We've got I was looking at some data. We have our we actually have our 
our annual sales kickoff meeting is next week. So we bring all of our sales team in and have a look back at performance from last year, talk about all the great things we're going to try to do this year. And we were looking at our top performers last year. And, you know, we mapped them kind of in terms of performance and how many units and revenue that they delivered in terms of new sales. And then we mapped them back to like how many, how, what their, what their a meeting kept rate was, right? So when they book an appointment, what's their kept, what's their kept rate? Um, their activity, calls, right? Emails in order to get an appointment. And what we saw was, there, you know, what you would expect that we saw is that you know, most of the people that had high activity also were kind of at the top of the leaderboard. The key metric was kept rate on meetings, though. One for one, the kept rates kind of matched in parity with the production from last year. Mm-hmm. And there was one guy on the team, um, and I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want him getting poached by other uh, other companies. <laughs> but there was one guy on the team that, like, his activity was like abnormally low relative to the rest of the sales team. Like he was at the bottom of the activity list, but he was in the top three in terms of production. And he was in the top two in terms of kept meeting rate. Mm. So I was talking to him and I was like, Hey, what are you, what are you doing? You know, like, how are you, are you just not logging activity in Salesforce? Like what's going on? And what you mentioned just a moment ago, and I, it was a long story, but I, I want to, you know, I just want to, I want to just kind of add some color to the story you just mentioned or the, the, the point you just made is that, his what he's found success in is just building such a good relationship with his customers that he's sold that they are actively they're he's like turning them into almost like an MLM machine right like <laughs> they're not making Very commission smart. I'm sure unless he's paying them himself but like he's literally <laughs> deployed his customer base in a sense that like they're referring they're actively referring their their friends of like businesses to him right so he's not spending a ton of time on making cold calls. He's getting his meetings through referrals, right? But it's because of the things, it's the activity that you just mentioned, right? When you really learn a segment really well and you become an expert in that segment, you help enough businesses, they start, they, they become, you know, they become those referral mechanisms for you. Mm-hmm. And if you're intentional about asking for those things, then it, 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 it kind of ends up paying for itself tenfold. I mean, they, I, I mean, I, I don't know how he's getting as many referrals as he is, but it showed up in his production last year. Do you think that you could see the same or expect the same result if you were a salesperson selling into any SMB? Yeah. I mean, I think, again, I think you can to a point. I I think where that falls apart is after a while, you know, if if you don't have great product market fit for, um, for some of those segments that you're selling into, at some point you're going to hit a place where that business or a set of businesses doesn't find value in your product. And that's going to lead to churn. That's going to lead to them talking negatively about their experience with you and your company. And eventually that's going to impact kind of that network, that built-in network of referrals mm-hmm. that you built up. So it's like, it's like I talked about earlier, you know, in my previous company, you had salespeople that did just that and you would see the hockey stick growth, right? But within three to six months, you would see, you know, you'd see the trend line heading straight back down, right? Just completely falling off. So I think that's the danger of, Mm. of trying to get too broad is if you don't have great product market fit, you're going to have churn, you're going to have upset customers, and that's going to impact your ability to leverage referrals. I remember when I first met you, I was interviewing for the CMO role at Scorpion. And one of the things I learned as part of that interview process was the client retention rate at Scorpion. 
yeah. which was 90%. And, and yeah. I'm sure it's in that system. I think it was, I think it was all higher than that at the time. I think it was like 94 or five, but it was, it was abnormally high yeah. every year. Yeah. Which was a big eye opener for me because my familiarity with SMB focused agencies was that the retention rates or the market is closer to 50%. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that, that, yeah. that, that signaled to me that Scorpion had, was doing something really, really interesting. When, when it comes to verticalizing the business, how did that lead to or contribute to the scale of the, sort of the revenue, the massive revenue growth? Like what, what did verticalization, what role did that play? I mean, I think it's probably one of the, the, the pillars that led us to, to getting to the size that we've gotten to and done it in such a way where we still have great client retention numbers we still have great, you know, what you could refer to as like same store growth numbers, right? So our existing customers that invest, you know, a, a dollar amount in February of this year and February of next year, we expect them to grow by 10%, you know, whatever that number is. So mm -hmm. I think that, I think it's one of the the foundations that's enabled us to scale to the size that we've, we've scaled to. And, and look, I think that some of that is just the nature of the, the businesses that we work with, right? We're, we're selling to local, small to medium-sized businesses in most cases. And they're, most of them are, are in some way, shape, or form fairly budget-constrained, right? They're not making tens of millions of dollars in revenue a year. They're making, you know, into the, you know, they're making seven and, and some into the eight figures. But, you know, seven figures, sometimes even the high six figures. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they've got to be a little bit judicious about where they invest even in things like growth, like around marketing and, 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 and things of that nature, you know, for us to, in order to, for us to serve that segment of customer, I don't think that we could have done it any other way and gotten to the size and scale of our success had we not been verticalized. And I think the downside to verticalization, because we can't just talk about the upsides, right? Like the downsides. That's one of my next questions. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk so about one, it. one one of the downsides, <laughs> right, is that when you do when you do it, we we've got you know we've got pretty good scale in our business now, right? When we're 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 fifteen thousand ish customers, um, you know, like we're we're in the you know the two ish approaching two hundred million in revenue. I think the downside is that when you get really used to kind of verticalizing low like slowly. And you get to our business and you're trying to keep your, your growth rate at a 20 plus percent year over year, that gets harder the bigger you get, right? Oh, so yeah. I think the downside is that it's at a certain point, you've got to be willing to take a little bit of a risk and kind of move a little bit faster into new verticals, right? Mm -hmm. In order to kind of maintain that growth rate, because look, we're still growing in the verticals that we're, that we want to grow in, but you do, you hit certain caps in certain markets, right? Where it just we can't work with every HVAC dealer in Dallas, right? They don't want to work with the same marketing company as their competition, mm. right? So you start to run up in, in our case, you start to run up against things like that. So I think the downside is if you get used to just slowly verticalizing um, your product set, you get to a point where you've got to be able to, to move a little bit faster in order to maintain that same year over year growth rate. But that may not be, important to some businesses, right? Some businesses may just be, hey, if I grow five-ish, eight, 10% year over year, and I'm really, really happy with that, then even as I grow to be bigger, I mean, I can, there's enough TAM in this one vertical or two verticals to just keep doing it. And that's fine. But if you're if you get, if like us and you want to, you know, you want to keep that 25 to 50, and we've had 50% year over year growth years, and you want to keep mm -hmm. that trend going, 
um, the bigger you get, I think that the, the more risk you've got to be able to, you've got to be willing and comfortable to, to kind of take on, expand a little bit faster. So I think there's an argument in the, in this discussion around, you know, if Scorpion would grow by, you know, hiring a separate sales team for each vertical, it gets very expensive very quickly. Yeah. It also logistically just is a lot of overheads, a lot of you know, organization, why not just have a pool of sailors kind of sell across? And you've, you've already talked to that, but is there any point when you, during this journey, when you felt like verticalizing was just not really worth the effort, just the complexity and the, the challenges that come along with taking that approach? Is it, has it ever been like, let's just, yeah, just go, it, just go <laughs> everybody go run it, whatever we can yeah, get. Right. Was there ever that moment? <clears throat> yeah. I mean, there's definitely, I mean, like I would be lying to say that there have been times where I've, I've questioned uh, is this the right, are we doing the right thing relative yeah. to where we are in our, in our business cycle today? I still think that, you know, when I, when I take a step back, I still think that the verticalized approach for us in terms of focus is the right approach. We've tested things in the past where we've, you know, tried to have a salesperson sell into multiple verticals. And candidly, we've got a couple of those tests running right now where we've got mm. um, a seller, uh, a couple of sellers that are selling home services, but they're also selling into the dental market and the chiropractic market and things of that nature. So I think that if we, if we expanded that, right, we would do it through the lens of like, let's go test a handful and let's see what their productivity is like, you know, in terms of like the, the added expense, I think all those things are in the investment, those things are relative to, to different businesses, right? I mean, in our case, you know, today, what we wouldn't do is we wouldn't say, okay, and again, this this is not a vertical that we're attacking, but let's say that we wanted to go sell to local CPAs, right, certified public accountants. Like we decided we want to go sell our solutions to those businesses. What I wouldn't do today is I wouldn't go hire 10 sellers tomorrow, right, to just start calling on CPAs. I would take probably one seller on my team, that had moderate success selling into something else, wasn't my best seller in home services, but at moderate success, I would say, hey, we want to go attack this other market. You know, here's where we did this. You know, Travis, he did this before. Look how successful Travis has been here. There's an opportunity. Would you like to participate? You're going to get a yes from one or two people, mm. right? You deploy those couple of people. And again, you kind of lead with marketing in that case. Where we used to lead with sales, you lead more with marketing. Right, so you figure out what are some targeted campaigns that I could run to d to drive some leads um, into into the business, and you know you test that out and you see what your momentum is, and then from there you scale up, you know, based on the result that you're seeing. Yeah. So I think that you can expand vertically like we have in a way that doesn't add you know an enormous burden, cost burden on the business or investment on the business before you see the payback to realize if it is or isn't worth your while to actually go chase. Yeah. So more of a test and learn and kind of expand as you go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> exactly. Home services. So home services was sec Scorpion's really second SMB vertical that we went into mm -hmm. and selling, selling to plumbers and personal injury attorneys sounds like two very different buyers and customers. Yep. Why did expanding into home services really make sense for Scorpion? Yeah. Well, first of all, they are very different businesses and very different buyers. Right. Mm -hmm. But again, I, I think about it through the lens of how are we helping them solve a marketing problem? Right. And, and that, and that, the answer to that question is really about how their customers 
right? Respond to marketing from those businesses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I often, <laughs> I, I refer to like our customer segment, like across verticals is like, is the oh shit verticals. Right. Right. You've, I think you and I, I've, you've heard this. I love this. it. Yeah. yeah. Please. Yeah. Please so, it, yeah. you know, like, <laughs> okay. So like, um, my pipe burst, right. Oh shit. I need a plumber. I got home from work and I live in Dallas, Texas in the summertime and it's 110 degrees outside. I walk in and I realize my AC is not on and I go to my thermostat and it reads 90 degrees. Oh shit. I need an HVAC. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I had a bad car accident and uh, oh shit, I need a personal injury attorney. Right. So th- that is, you know, again, we, what we, what we're trying to solve is, is that marketing problem for our customer set. So that, that is like the, that's kind of the litmus test mm-hmm. of, is this segment a good segment that we can address the marketing problems for our customers? Now, the answer to that question is from our perspective is clearly yes. I think that's been proven by the fact that we've grown those segments pretty, pretty rapidly. But then the next question is, okay, well, then how do you, you know, talking to a guy that's got his Juris Doctorate, he's an attorney or she's an attorney, highly educated versus kind of your blue collar, you know, worker, (laughs) right? Your plumber that probably grew up in the trades probably doesn't have a higher education in most cases, um, although that's actually starting to shift now, which is quite interesting. But yeah, those segments, those, those, those personalities, um, what's important to those people. Very, very, very different. Right. And again, I think that that goes back to the value in verticalizing your marketing approach, verticalizing your sales approach. That's another reason that those things are valuable is because, you know, you can start to get into a groove and understanding how a plumber or how an HVAC owner wants to have a conversation and wants to talk about the problems that we address versus the attorney that honestly has the same exact problem as the plumber in a lot of cases relative to marketing, but how you get their attention and how you want to talk to them about fixing it could be in some cases dramatically different. Was getting into home services an instant success or were there some bumps in the road? That's a great question. I mean, instant success would be like, we, you know, immediately got like a hundred customers, like in a month period that didn't happen. But I will say that that we we what we did see was pretty quick momentum, hmm. right? So so pretty quickly, Travis Carter on the team that was kind of the dedicated home services guy, he started selling more home services clients at a faster rate than he was selling attorneys. Now again, I would I would not equate that to just oh we call it a different business therefore they close faster. I mean Travis was he came from like a home services environment. He had a great he did a great job of like yeah empathy perspective of like really having a conversation with those people. But I would say that we saw momentum, but yeah, I mean, there were certainly, there were certainly bumps in the road. There continue to be bumps in the road, but I would say that it was really pretty, it was evident within the first three months that this was the right play and that we needed to invest more to expand more in that vertical category. Did Scorpion from maybe from a product or a deliverability perspective, did Scorpion have to make any changes in order to, to see kind of the same results, whether it be through retention or, or just customer satisfaction in home services? Were there any changes that had to be made? I think mm-hmm. what, I think the big, the big difference is again, we're just on the people side, right? It's okay. How can we, how can we make sure that we are talking to the owner of the plumbing business in a way that they want to receive communication 
in a way that addresses problems that they believe that they've got? How can we make those tweaks relative to the personal injury attorney? I think mm-hmm. those are the big changes that we had to, you know, we had to, we had to consider and kind of map a plan for. Could you talk about how you made those changes? Like what was the evolution from being say, sort of unaware about what, what a home service business owner has, you know, cares about how they want to be communicated to, to being a real sort of master at that? What was that transition like? Yeah. I mean, again, I think it, I think it happened pretty quickly. I mean, just as soon as we um, deployed a dedicated sales effort, we didn't deploy immediately a dedicated delivery and account management function because that just, we didn't have the skill for that. I mean, you Mm -hmm. can't just take, you know, one account manager and say, you're going to manage this one customer that we sold and then it's going to be two. So we had to kind of tiptoe our way into the satisfaction stage of after a customer buys, how do you make sure that they're happy and stay with you? Um, but, but I think, you know, I think one of the things that we did is like, again, we had a handful of customers in that segment, again, typically friends and family, mm-hmm. right. Who are willing to lend an ear and have conversations about how they think about the problems that we saw from them from a digital marketing perspective, you know, learning some of the business language that they use, right. Service and repair versus installation, things of that nature, and so we had that to our advantage, right? We had some people that we could go talk to and that we could kind of use that and document that to kind of become the basis of, of what we're, what we were doing um, from a client satisfaction perspective. But yeah, I mean, I think it was, I think it was just a, a an intentional learning experience, right? It was mm-hmm. just paying attention to and be willing to have a conversation around, um, you know, we, we talk about uh, CQ and I talk a lot about, you know, this concept of discovery or uncovering, mm-hmm. right? Which is asking very specific questions for meaning to understand things like the desired state your customer wants to get to, obstacles or challenges they're having, cost of keeping things the same and not making changes, current situation. I mean, you, you ask those questions and you get, you know, if you're, if you're really interested in the answers, you're going to get some great feedback. And if you take that feedback and you really go dissect it, that actually helps you, your ability to talk to other businesses because a lot of them are probably experiencing some of the same challenges. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, let's make a shift here into franchise. So franchise was Scorpion's first, it was, a, it was a shift from the traditional SMB, local service businesses, into more of an enterprise sales play, at least. Can yeah. you talk about what led to the decision for Scorpion to uh, expand into a different, very different looking seemingly different looking vertical, which is more enterprise there versus SMB. Yeah. I mean, again, I think this is kind of a little bit fortuitous. I mean, one of the, one of the other segments that I ended up working in in my last company was in franchising Mm -hmm. and, and yeah, while franchise, um, you hear franchise, it means different things to different people, but you know, in essence, it's, it's really a network of businesses that represent a single brand right across, you know, multiple markets, right? So I mean, obviously there's the large ones like your McDonald's and your Kentucky Fried Chickens and your Taco Bells. But then, you know, in, in, in categories like we service, like in home services, right, there's big franchise companies like at the time, a company called the Dwyer Group, who's now called Neighborly. They own big businesses like Mr. Rooter Plumbing, AirServe HVAC, right? So really all you're talking about at that point is a network of local small businesses right? That all represent the same brand. So, you know, what, what we, and again, I, I always, you know, big credit to, to Rue and his, and his, um, and his, um, his, his kind of strategy here as well was 
look, you know, those, those businesses have a lot of the same problems. Certainly the local franchisees have the exact same problems in a lot of cases as the independent businesses, but then corporate, you know, the parent company has a problem too, because they, they've got a vested interest in helping drive revenue through marketing to all their franchisees. But man, they got a visibility problem. It's really hard for them to have a clear understanding of what their franchise in Dallas is doing versus the one in Shreveport, Louisiana versus the one in LA. So, you know, what we did was just kind of take our product and we went and kind of expanded it to aggregate all of the results and all of the data of all the local franchisees back up to corporate so they had better visibility. So we're, we're solving the same problems for the local business and we just kind of leveraged our product to go solve a bigger problem for the parent company. And, you know, the benefit there, right, is that you could go sell to the parent company, longer sales cycle, as you, to your point, a little bit more of kind of an enterprise mm-hmm. sales approach because you're, you're dealing with, you know, multiple constituents and stakeholders that have a vested interest in the decision process. But when you, when you actually got the, the deal done, A, couple things happen. It's, it's higher revenue because you're, you're addressing problems for, and you know, one franchise may have 250 locations. So all of a sudden you've got 250 new customers from one contract. That's, that's a cool problem to have. Um, some more revenue, but then also what we saw is that's a great way to kind of what we call land and expand, right? You land mm. the parent company, you provide them with like a, a unified digital presence, kind of unified marketing data across the network. But then you can deploy an effort to the individual franchisees within that segment, and you can go sell them more solutions that they benefit from in their franchise. So it's a great way to kind of land, get great revenue, set a great foundation, and then grow that through the network of franchisees. And yeah, I mean, I think that that's one of the things that, again, kind of drew me to Scorpion is that Mm. I saw that as a problem at my previous company couldn't get the previous company to invest the right resources to solve the problem. So when I eventually left and I ended up landing at Scorpion, you know, several months later, you know, Rue and I talked about that and he had actually kind of participated in helping me try to solve it through my last company in a partnership Mm -hmm. that we had. But, uh, but yeah, we, we just kind of said, man, there's, there's, that's a real problem. We can solve it. And we ran fast at it. And then we went from, literally not having a single franchise customer and call it, you know, and certainly in before 2014, I think at the end of 14, we got our very first franchise customer and it was a very small project. And then at the, in March or February of 2015, we landed our first fairly large franchise customer. And that was instant success because mm-hmm. we got that business. And then like that year was just, you know, here's another one. Here's another one that wants to work with you. Here's a franchise yeah. is a very small world. Like there's people talk. And um, so, yeah, we, we grew that market rapidly. And and I think one of the things I'm most proud of here in, in my time has been, you know, we're, we're really kind of the, the bar set for, the digital marketing companies that service the franchise industry, certainly the service-based franchise verticals. We're not really going after the McDonald's or the, the QSR quick service Mm -hmm. restaurants, Mm -hmm. but the service-based verticals, I mean, you know, I would say that we've got critical mass from a market share perspective. God, there's Um, 
That that's amazing. So much to unpack here. I want to, I want to sort of paraphrase one of the points you were making earlier on when uh, we started talking about franchising. And let me know if I've got this. So okay. we we were experts at solving the the local marketing problem for the local service business. And there was an adjacent problem that we could solve. We felt very confident we could solve for the franchisor, which is the brand. We knew we could solve their problem. Maybe we hadn't had a lot of experience in doing that, but we knew we could from a product yep. perspective. And and that was the, hey, I have a, a network of franchisee locations that all need great marketing and I need to be able to facilitate and, and provide that or, or do it better than I currently am. And I need to be able to do that with a partner who understands sort of franchising, right? And so we could That's solve right. that. We could solve that adjacent problem uh, with a high level of confidence. And we knew that we could already solve the, the local marketing problem for the franchisees. Exactly. That fair? Exactly. That's, okay. that's, that's great. Exactly. Okay. Yep. What were the changes? So, so serving a franchisor customer, not only during the sales process, it's a different buying process, but then also servicing them, what changes Scorpion had to make as an organization, maybe yeah. as a culture to be able to meet the needs of a, uh, enterprise customer versus a, an SAB. Yeah, that's another great question. I mean, because the servicing, the service organization was is very very different um, than the rest of our our business. It was probably the most dramatic difference mm-hmm. that we had to make. And and again, I, I would high praise to 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 Rue on that one. I mean, because at that point when you're selling a franchise, you really have two customers that are part of the same organization, mm-hmm. right? So you've got your 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 executives that work for the franchise or the parent company. Right, and your primary customer at that in that point in time is is typically some combination of the chief marketing officer, the maybe they've got a director of digital marketing or a VP of digital marketing in the brand. They've got brand managers, right, who are responsible for kind of the branding aspects and making sure that the franchisee network are leveraging the brand the right way. And then, of course, at that point, you're also you know you're in some cases you're you're directly interfacing with the CEO of those businesses because they're making a big investment in our solution at that point. Um, so that's that's a customer that requires a a certain level, and they've got a certain fair expectation on service and um, and delivering value and making sure that they're leveraging our services and our tools in the way that they bought them to leverage, right? But then you've also got the franchisees, right? The individual, the the individual local business owners that invested their hard-earned money to buy the brand mm-hmm. in their local market and then grow their own revenue through that brand. So we, we, what we did is we would, we would create, you know, a single team that supported, I'll just use, you know, a Mr. Reuter as an example, but we had a single per, a single team that supported Mr. Reuter, but we had a one segment of that team whose primary responsibility was interfacing with the corporate folks. And then we had another subset who, who primarily acted almost like a kind of a, a hybrid account manager slash salesperson, right? That was servicing the franchisees, building relationships, and then helping them identify ways they can invest further in our solutions within their individual franchise in order to grow their customers, grow their revenue, things of that nature. And those those teams again were part of the same group. They had some some shared KPIs in terms of what does success look like for us. But that's that's how we structurally attacked it. And that's evolved over time, and we've tested sure. different things. But I would say large in part, that's kind of where we kind of always land back to is some something that looks like that. 
Is it fair to say that was a new muscle for Scorpion to build going from SMB focus to also now enterprise type clients? Oh yeah. It was definitely a new muscle to build. I mean, again, I think that the thing that served us great though, was just the, that intense care about, um, the success of, of our customer like that, yeah. that was like, that carried us through so anything that we lacked in experience. We more than made up for by, I mean, man, it was, it was fun back in, I mean, it's still fun, but like, <laughs> you know, earlier in those days, I mean, we had, we had these account managers that, cause most of our account management team again was in LA, right? Mm-hmm. So West coast. And now we're servicing franchisees all across North America, you know, so, so U S and in some cases Canada, but I remember like we had this one guy that was, I think is in, in Atlanta, Steve, Steve's his name. He was a customer's name is Steve. Uh, he was East coast and he, he wrote in like to his account manager, this guy named Eric at like seven, six thirty or 7 AM East coast time. So, you know, three thirty four AM West coast time wrote in and Eric's kind of an early riser and he would just kind of naturally be on his email and checking things out. And like, you know, Eric solved his problem, like had an answer like in 10 minutes. And Steve was like, what are you, it's four, it's four fifteen. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> so, but I mean like little things like that, it's kind of like the old Zappos model, right? Like the just surprise and delight your customers. Right. I mean, it used to, Zappos used to be kind of the gold standard for that. We had, we had, and I think to continue to, to, to have, you know, that level of focus on our customers and, yeah, so you're exercising a new muscle from a process perspective and new vertical cat- category that you don't have a lot of experience in. You can make up for it if you have like an intense focus on your on your client success. I would say that that's one of Scorpion's core competencies is just that true, genuine care yeah. going above and beyond. And not every business shares that, but every business, I believe, has a core competency that makes them unique and and, and special to their customers. So you know, knowing that who that, you know, what that core competency is in your business and leveraging that for your growth, which is, you know, Scorpion's a great example for that. I think that's super important. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I appreciate you being an alum, alumnus, still, still recognizing <laughs> that. I mean, it does mean a lot. Yeah, it's, it's the difference that makes a difference, especially for Scorpion. Taking a step back from home services and franchise, just overall scaling the business, Scorpion builds a lot of software to help run the internal operations of the business. And what would you say from your perspective, how does that help the company overall to scale? Yeah, it's, it's a really great question. I mean, look, I think there are, that that is one area where where Rue and I have somewhat differences of opinion sometimes in our case though. um, I think that um, again, because we have been so vertically aligned uh, what, what building our own software in house has allowed us to do is like really map our client service processes, right, directly into the systems and tools that we use to manage our customers. Um, and I think that there is there is benefit. I mean, I do also think that like, you know, when you get to our size and company, like continue to build those systems to scale to a company of our size becomes different. There's different challenges that, that present themselves. Yeah. But I would I would say that that um the certainly the advantage of doing it and the reason that the core cause of should we build this ourselves should we build this ourselves or should we you know find an outsourced SaaS tool that we could use to solve the problem right is honestly just kind of a cost benefit analysis around okay what's the investment of each just from a hard dollars perspective and then 
in terms of like efficiency or solving the problem that we're trying to solve in the best way that we can so that we can retain customers better, we can service them more scalably. Like you have to kind of do those things and then figure out where you land on that spectrum. And I think more times than not for us to this point, we land in the area of, hey, it would be better for us to just map this and build this on our own internal system because we can facilitate a better or the ideal customer experience that we want to facilitate that we can't quite accommodate through the use of some third-party tool. I I 100% agree with that, having experienced it internally. And would also say that for any business that's looking to scale, you know, one of the things, one of the the areas that I've seen businesses get into trouble is in the variability that that can occur in delivering value for the customer. And so by being such a process-driven company that Scorpion is and being able to build software into those processes, you build, you, you sort of, you remove the variability so the, the propensity for human error, let's say, or creativity, sure. right? You yeah. have a very specific path that we have been proven, we've proven over the years that attorneys really benefit from. And so let's just codify that so that we can grow the business, bring on a lot more attorneys in this example, and and have confidence that there's not going to be a variability in the quality of the of the of the experience of the product. Exactly. And and look, I mean, I think the other. The other thing to kind of keep in mind, right, is if if you if there are ways that you can build software for your own business processes, and in doing that, you can potentially monetize that product, that tool to your customers, right? That's another reason that you may may decide, you know. So you know, there's a lot that we do from like uh, how we're managing. Um, how we're now kind of leveraging. We bought a company a couple of years ago uh, called Can I Rank, which was doing some really interesting things around leveraging machine learning models to improve search engine optimization work. So we've taken you know those things and kind of layered them into our SEO product, what we call Scorpion Ranking. So there's some things with that product that we've built initially for our account management team to use, but eventually maybe there's a time in the marketplace where we could turn that into a self-service tool. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and, and you could, you could argue some of the same kind of methodology around our advertising tools that we use for digital advertising. We're building them today for our account management team to facilitate a more efficient process, deliver better value in terms of customer service. But at some point our customer base may be sophisticated enough to where we could just give them access to those tools and allow them to do some of that work themselves because they're interested in it or they just want to take it on. So, I mean, that's the other reason that maybe build versus buy, you would, you would advocate for a build is, Hey, can we take this tool and then can we monetize it later on to our customer base? That's powerful. I think it reminds me of, I think there's examples of businesses that went from a service focused business into a product led business like MailChimp, I think is a good example where they were originally a creative agency and then they were unsatisfied with the the email tools that were out there. So they just built one for for their customers. And then that eventually became the primary focus. I would say Mm -hmm. that was a good business move for them. I would say so. (laughs) They ended up, they ended up doing okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Any advice uh, that you may have, like, what would you say to someone who's listening to us and thinking about taking their business into more of a verticalized approach, whether it be one vertical or, or multiple vertical, any just, any advice comes to mind as they're thinking through that? 
Yeah, I mean, I would say that, you know, early on, you know, before you go invest a bunch of money, dollars, resources, and time, I would just start simple and, and you know, you're going to have an idea of who you think your your total addressable market is, your TAM is. And I think the first thing you should do is like, just go carve out time to have some conversations with businesses, you know, with business owners in that area and talk to them about your idea and is, does this solve a problem or help them achieve a specific goal that they've got that they haven't been able to achieve otherwise, you know, and just go have some conversations. I mean, take them, grab them, grab them, grab a cup of coffee with them, grab a drink with them, take them to lunch, um, and just have some, some casual conversations and, and, and really listen to their feedback and validate that relative to what your hypothesis is. And, you know, so I think that that's like the starting point, right? Is like, don't, don't get overconfident in your product and the problem it solves without, in fact, validating that through some real conversations with business owners, you know, in that, in that segment. Sure. And I think to add to that, it's a bonus if you have current customers who represent a vertical that you're considering going into, just that's a great place to yeah. start, right? Just go, yeah, go into those those clients and, and really understand at a deep level what, what truly the problem is you're solving for them. And is there, is there potential for, for greater expansion there? A hundred percent. And then I think, you know, again, going back to that example is if you've got some customers and you're thinking about potentially expanding into other vertical categories, you know, it's interesting because one of the arguments against it for us early on that we was, it was kind of a story that we made up in our own heads mm. was that, um, when our attorneys saw us working with a plumber, right, that they, the general attitude from the attorney was going to be, well, you don't know my business anymore, right? You used to just be legal only. You don't know my business, right? Therefore, you're not qualified to help me in the capacity that you once helped me in. And A, what we saw was, A, that was just kind of a story on our own heads that didn't happen very often. And for, you know, the one or two times it would come up, you know, you may lose a customer, but hey, what, you're going to gain like 100 for that one that you lost. But but one of the things that we found is that that was just kind of, that could, that could be like an objection or resistance that you got um, in a conversation. But if you broke through that resistance and said, well, hey, like, let me, let me ask you a question on that. Like, why, you, why do you feel that way? Why do you feel that you, because you're a, a personal injury attorney that, that we can't serve you and serve a plumber? Like, why do you feel that way? And they would just kind of, ah, blah, 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 you know, not really have a response. Irrational fear, right. And then you could just say, well, hey, look, can I, can I give you our perspective on that, mm-hmm. right? And that perspective, you know, would just probably be some explanation of, let me talk to you about how a, a, a customer finds you, how a client finds you, and then let's go look at how a client finds an attorney. And at the end of that, if you're telling me that those paths are very, very different, then, you know, I'll say you're right and I'm wrong. We'll go our separate ways. But I think you're mm-hmm. going to find... Right. And again, what you'd find is that, oh, yeah, OK, that makes that makes sense. I, I see how you guys are solving problems for both of us and doing it really, really well. But I think, you know, as you as you, as you take that, if you take that lens of I'm serving the you know, one category, I want to go to the next, you know, go to that next vertical. And, and, and again, go through that same process of interviewing people and say, hey, look, let me give you my, my perspective. We're solving this problem for this type of business today. And I know that that's, that's not you, but my, my hunch is that these are the problems that we're solving for them. Do you have those same problems in your business? Right. And if the answer is yes, 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 yes. Well, then you've kind of validated your hypothesis that you've got a relevant market over here that you can yeah. take your product to mm. and you can start, you know, digging in there and expanding into that, into that new vertical. 
What I love is that you're focusing, this approach that you're recommending is focusing on the problem. It's focusing on the customer. Oh, 100%. Right? It's, not, it's not focusing on like, hey, we built this product. Let's, you know, who could be you know, convinced to buy this, right? It's so funny. I mean, and, and look, I mean, I think, again, you go through various growth cycles, you know, in your business. But for us, I mean, look, there's definitely been, um, we're, we're absolutely, I believe every bone in my body, we're absolutely a very customer-obsessed, customer-focused business. But I would also be lying to say that there have not been times where we built something, right, that we thought, oh, this is really cool, Right. And this, our customers are going to love this. And we approached it from the posture that you just, you just mentioned, which was kind of very us focused, right? This is cool. Look, we let's go sell this. And our customers kind of just kind of fell on deaf ears. We didn't get the momentum that we got because it didn't necessarily always mean either that it was a bad product or it was the wrong solution, but it was the mentality and the posture by which we tried to bring it to market instead of bringing it to market through the lens of, going and talking to our customers, hey, here's what we're thinking, or here's what we're building, here's what our hypothesis is, was this solve a problem that you've got? We just kind of built it and said, the next thing you know, it's like, let's go sell it. And every time we've done that, fortunately, there have only been a handful of those. Hmm. But when we've done that, what we found in the market is that, in fact, they don't want that. And yeah. we don't sell it at the same rate, or our retention is not as good. So I'm glad you called that out. I think I think the businesses, despite your approach to vertical categories, your approach to um, how fast you want to grow or how slow and steady you want to grow, you know, it's just, it's, it's such, it's, it's such a simple concept, but it's for some, some reason continues to be difficult for businesses to kind of get in their heads is if you are more customer focused and you're, and you're, and you're trying to solve their problems, that that's really your North star, you're going to increase your chance of success, you know, by 10 X easily by 10 X. So I, I'm glad you called that out and I appreciate you, you, you saying that. I think the, in my experience and, and just familiarity and throughout my career, it's something that I've fallen into the trap of. Um, and it's very common. I built a business well before Scorpion right after college and it was a streaming media business. <clears throat> and what we yeah, did is we, we would, talked about that. I yeah. That. So it was back in the day, back in 2000, 99, 2000, and we raised $3 million, bought all this broadcast quality production equipment, cameras and switchers and all these things. And the, and the business concept was, hey, we're going to we're gonna sell services to go out to venues and, and uh, sporting events. And, you know, we're going to put these things live on the internet. <clears throat> and it's going to be a massive hit because, you know, everyone's going to start watching videos it's almost uh, and, like the Mark Cuban model, right? The the broadcast. Very close, com, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Bar he he actually sold to Yahoo as we were getting going. So it was really at that time. The difference was he was audio, and we yep. were video, and so we spun up this big business, raised this money, and bought all this stuff, bought this, you know, built this whole company. And what we came to find out was that while it was a sexy idea to to do live streaming, you know, we did things like you know concerts. So we did a. Rolling Stones concert that was live streamed and all those type of things. While that was super sexy, the reality was that people were not, people were connected to the internet at the time with, through a 56K modem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're around the, back the, in the, the day. Bus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All that, right. It was old school <laughs> and the throughput of the internet was very, very slow. Like you just, and so the quality of the video was such that people wouldn't watch. It would be like one frame every five seconds when, you know, one frame watching live, live streaming. So we built this huge product and, you know, convinced and in love with our idea that this was going to be the next, you know, the next thing. And the reality was, is that they, you know, there, there was just not a market for it. Yeah. 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 Well, that, 
probably would have been a market for it. The infrastructure just wasn't there to support the market Correct. at the time. And that, right? so. But we were convinced that that was, you know, that you know, yeah. we, we, we had the answer at that time. And so, cool. Well, I have a, I have a couple of non-business questions if you're, if you're willing to sort yeah. of go in that direction. Yeah. Obviously, we're friends and we're connected on Facebook. And it's not surprising that all the time I see you with a some celebrity in an airport or a restaurant <laughs> or... Yeah, you have a knack for running into these celebrities and these famous people, these athletes. Uh, yeah. How how many times has that happened in your life? Because I think it's it's more than well, the the average ha- person. It's happened a lot. I think I've got a, somewhat argue like my 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 uh, my library of like useless knowledge is quite high, <laughs> Sp- specifically around music. Um, some of the athletes too, but music. It's just I'm, I'm, I love music, so mm. you know I I I, I kind of keep in touch with you know specifically musicians from the '60s, '70s, '80s, '90s, early 2000s is kind of my jam, mm. and I just I don't know I I just have a knack of spotting people, and and some would you know some would <laughs> call them C-list celebrities, right? Like they're not like at the top of their game necessarily anymore. Maybe they're not. It never got quite to the upper echelon, but yeah, it does happen a lot. I would say that my, my favorite run in, I was talking about this last night with a friend of mine who's, who's in town and uh, my favorite run in is by far and away been Dave Grohl. Oh, um, nice. I ran into Dave Grohl at Katsuya in Encino, California. Oh yeah. And yeah, with our buddy Steve. And that was the coolest that I, nice. that I've encountered. Cause I, we ended up having like a 15 minute conversation. We were waiting for the restaurant to open and he came with his family, with his wife and his daughters. Mm. And it was literally just Steve and me and his wife and, and daughters. And Steve's family actually came and met us too, but, and they lived kind of in the same neighborhood and, and Steve, they had some mutual friends. So like, Wild. it was like Steve, Dave Grohl and me like talking <laughs> for like 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and then when I was in the restaurant, like sitting with Steve at this table, I was with Steve, his wife and his two kids. Like all of a sudden I'm sitting at the table and somebody grabs me behind the shoulders and shakes me. And I look up and it's Dave Grohl. Like he was going <laughs> to the bathroom and we, we, cause we were, it was, it was, BFFs, weird. He, instant, it, was it was funny. I was like yeah. you know, getting the weeds, but like that the weekend <laughs> before this was like on a Monday or Tuesday, the weekend before they had played, the Foo Fighters had played in Dallas, where I live now, and they played in Shreveport, where I'm from, or, yeah. or town yeah. where I'm from. Yeah, yeah. So we had been talking about Shreveport, actually, specifically played in Bossier City. And uh, we were talking about that. So, and he called it the Bossier City. Like, <laughs> Bossier spelled kind of weird. So he called it the Bossier City. So when he came up behind me, he grabbed my shoulders. He's like, it's the Bossier City. <laughs> I was like, that was Dave Grohl. He just grabbed me by. Like, anyway, that what the cool. what the hell is happening right now? This is amazing. But yeah, it does happen a, a fair amount, and I do get a fair amount of shit from it from friends because they're like, "How do you know this person?" But yeah, it just it happens. Like, I, I think it maybe happens to me. And I live in LA, which is like the land of stars, and it never happens to me. But uh, yeah. it's pretty it's pretty prolific. You share with me personally, and over the years that you played a lot of tennis growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a big part of your growing up, and. Any thoughts around how playing tennis helped you to become sort of the the leader that you are now, the man that you are, the success in business? Oh, yeah, man. I could spend hours talking about that. I think, um, I mean, number one, I mean, I, I think um, I think most ath- athletics, it doesn't matter, tennis or golf or basketball or anything, just the, the idea of like competition, I think is, I think there, there's some positive purposes that it serves right because at the end of the day you know life is life is hard 
And, you know, honestly, from my perspective, my, my objective in life, right, is to impact a lot of people positively, right? And I'm certainly, I feel like I've done that. I've certainly impacted plenty of people negatively too. Yeah. So I don't want to discount that. But, mm-hmm. but I mean, I've definitely made, made positive impact. And I think in order to do that at a scale that I want to do it, it, it requires me to accomplish certain things. And, you know, those accomplishments, when I say accomplish, it doesn't, I don't, I'm not talking about like money, but, you know, I've got to be able to achieve certain things that I want to achieve in order to, to, to help people that are in the capacity that I want to help them. And that means like winning and losing, right? I think sports teaches you um, how to handle winning and how to handle losing, hmm. right? Because you're doing it. And in my case, I mean, I was playing tennis from the time that I was 10 or 11 all the way through my first couple of years in college competitively. So you're at tournaments all the time. So you're experiencing wins and losses all the time. And you, you learn to deal with the emotional state that comes with winning and comes with losing. So I think that that, that was, um, that was really helpful and it continues to help me. I think the other thing for tennis specifically is an individual sport, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no one to blame except yourself. Right. And I, and I think that that as a leader that serves me really well because you know, when my team misses a target, my immediate inclination is not to go point the finger at somebody on the team. It's to point the finger back at myself. Like, what did I do or not do that prevented my team from being successful? Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, from a tennis perspective, that was a big, that was another big, you know, aha that I learned that I didn't actually really value until later on when I became a, a professional like a professional in my career, not a professional tennis player, but just, you know, taking ownership of the wins and taking ownership of the losses. Um, actually losses more than the wins. Cause I think the wins are easy to point back at your coach, your family unit, your friends, et cetera. And then I think that the other thing about tennis specifically that, that I really valued that, that actually served me more than the tennis itself was, you know, in tennis, I mean, I, gr- I grew up in a really small town in Louisiana. I, I say Shreveport, but it, the town is really, it's called Cachada. Mm-hmm. I never talk about it because on this forum, because people don't know where Cachada is and they probably have heard of Shreveport before. Yeah. But my town was, was, was uh, 40 miles south of Shreveport, about a thousand, maybe 1500 people total. Mm-hmm. And so it was a very like, you know, walled off, you know, area, I mean, like relative to the rest of the world. And what tennis afforded me to the ability to do was go out and play tournaments all across the country. And I mean, a big credit to my parents, they made a lot of sacrifices in order for me to do that, because it wasn't a cheap endeavor. But, you know, I was going to tournaments, you know, in some cases with my buddies when I was 14 years old, without some, in some cases without adult supervision, right, we would fly to a place meet up, stay at a hotel together, and we would just kind of be in charge of figuring out how to, how to get around. And that forced me to get outside of my comfort zone, learn to have conversations with strangers, yeah. learn to be adaptable in any environment that I kind of got dropped into. And I think that that helped me, like from a sales and business development perspective, you know, my posture of like kind of never having met a stranger you know, I, I enjoy meeting people. I, I find it pretty easy to kind of jump right into a conversation with a complete stranger. Um, I think that that helped as well. You know, again, that's not directly related to the being on the court and competing, but on the periphery, I think that that, that, that served me the getting out and, you know, being around people that I otherwise wouldn't have experienced, you know, just playing football in my hometown of Louisiana and just going on Friday nights right, and playing right, teams right, regionally. Right. right. So yep. 
yeah, so I mean, those are the things that I think are the takeaways. And, um, and again, I think, I think the other, the final, I know I said that was the last one. The final was like tennis, really, man, just put me in. It exposed me to a network of, of extended family. Like hmm. my tennis coach um, growing up is like my second dad. I mean, to this day, you know, his, one of his, his kids are my godson. And I had some of my closest friends to this day are people that I grew up playing tennis with. And, uh, so just on a personal level, I mean, I, I, I was the beneficiary of, of that as well. So that's probably what I'm, what I'm proudest about and most thankful for. That's awesome. Side. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just knowing you as I do professionally and personally, I, I completely resonate with the, uh, the competitive piece. Like yeah. I see that in you and I've got a little bit of that myself. And I think that's yeah, yeah, one of the reasons why we, we, we resonated early, uh, as well as I love how you take ownership. It's never, yeah. you know, regardless of what happens, you know, win or lose, it's always like, okay, let's just get better, whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I think that's important. I mean, again, man, I mean, life, life, is, life is, life is hard and it can be harder if you make it harder. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, I think that, that, uh, I've, I've found, um, cause I, I certainly, there've been times where I didn't take ownership, right. Where I did mm-hmm. deflect and, those things never serve me or serve anybody else around me. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I definitely subscribe to, you know, the attitude and the posture of, of trying to take ownership. And, um, and man, there's, there's a lot, even, especially when you, when you fail or when you screw it up, I mean, there's a lot to learn if you're paying attention and you're willing to, and you're willing to, you're willing to own that. Um, so I appreciate that, 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 that comes through, man. I think, thank you for yeah. saying that. I mean, I, I remember just, just briefly thinking back about Scorpion, like we did a lot of things really well, obviously, but we also made a lot of mistakes along the way. That's just the nature of it, but it was never a gotcha culture. It was never like, Hey, I'm going to come down on you hard because you know, what, what down didn't, you know, didn't meet the expectations. Like, yeah, there was this big, big expectations, but it was always looking forward, right? Like yeah. what could we, how do we get better? How do we get better yeah, versus, uh, I agree. you know, you know? And I, and I admire it. And I think you were a big part of that. So thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Who's someone that's had a big influence on your life. I know I mean, a lot of people a, have over the years, but yeah, you know, what, I mean, someone come to mind. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll, I'll grab, this is, uh, this, this is my, uh, this is my grandfather. Um, mm-hmm. there you go. So he, he played professional baseball. Joe Adcock. Yeah, that's right. So he won a world series in 1957, won a world series in 1957 with the Braves you know, he, he passed away when I was, uh, 18, but, um, I would say the earliest, like big influence was him. I mean, I think number one, I think I was again, fortuitous enough to have someone who was a professional athlete as my grandfather. So, you know, just number one, he kind of like, I I was very early on again, growing up in a really small town. I had a very, um, I had a, a, a clear model and vision of, of, uh, what success could look like at the highest of levels, right? Like my grandfather won a world series. It doesn't get much better than that. Um, so, Absolutely. so you know, growing up, like having like, you know, it's easy to talk about dreaming big and you can do whatever you want. But I think, you know, when you are exposed to that in your family and you've seen that, like you're at an immediate advantage. Mm. So from that perspective, I'm thankful. But then, I mean, again, I, and I think this is true of like most people in my life and certainly my family. I mean, my grandfather was just, man, he was, uh, he was a disciplinarian kind of guy, but man, he just, you knew, I, you knew he loved you like mm. as, as his grandson. I mean, like I was like, I mean, even to this day, people talk, we talk about how, 
my grandfather, like I was like the, I was like the diamond right in his life. <laughs> and, uh, that's special. And to experience like that level of, of, of love was, is just a special thing. And, and I mean, there's a lot of people that I look up to, but he's the, you know, he's just the guy that when I, when I get asked that question, he's always the first guy that kind of mm. comes up. Um, you know, other people, I mean, my, my, my parents for sure, my tennis coach, um, my, my tennis coach, his name's Pat Harrison. He, um, he was just, he was, he was a football coach coaching tennis. So <laughs> it was just very like his feedback in your face, direct, like <laughs> not, not a soft guy. Knew, yeah, you loud. knew he loved you, but loud, like, you know, lots of four letter yeah. words. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And look, I mean, again, I mean, you know, you could say, well, it's not, that's not very kosher. That's like, you know, there's there's mental anguish that could be imposed. And that, look, there may be so, but you look for me, man, like I needed that. Like I needed that. I needed, I needed to get feedback that way. I receive feedback like direct. in a direct fashion that way, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that gets my attention. That gets me laser focused in. And man, that served me personally. That served me really, really. I didn't like it at the time. I mean, right. you know, it wasn't like, you know, that, I didn't love getting my ass chewed out because I missed a forehand, right? Like, but, but man, I mean, like in hindsight, you know, it, it just got me locked in. And, and, uh, so I mean, he was, he was another, you know, another one that, that had, and then probably more recently, like guys like Rory Clark, who, you know, you know, and mm-hmm. he's who been is Rory? kind of my, Why don't you share with, share with us. Yeah. So, Rory so Rory, Rory is, um, you know, I found him because I was looking to try to build a sales methodology at Scorpion and he had a, I, I came across him through a mutual friend, through one of our mutual friends, Brian Davis, who had worked with him in a different company. And so I hired Rory to kind of help us kind of build out a sales methodology. And what I found was really someone who was more of a, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I don't like overusing the word life coach, but you know, kind of wasn't a life coach. Like he, I would certainly call him an executive coach mm-hmm. and, you know, also benefit of he's a Christian pastor. And you know, that I, I recognize as, as, a, as identify as a Christian and a believer in that sense. So he's, he's just somebody that has helped me kind of navigate building out systems and processes. It certainly helped facilitate a better sales culture, but he's also someone that just is a great, he's just a great mentor, a life mentor. Um, so he's been kind of the, the, the guy more recent that I would, that I would say has a, a massive influence in my life. Last question. My, my, my nephews, my nephews and my niece, uh, uh, my nieces. So yeah. Who you're very close with. They're coming over. A couple of them are coming over today to visit from Shreveport. Oh. So I'm pretty excited about that. That's awesome. Don't worry. Last... Follow my Instagram story. You'll see it. I will check it out. <laughs> what last question, Jamie, what's your motivation? Um, it's a great question. It's funny, man. I, here's my, I was doing my, my journaling before this, this mm-hmm. morning. And, uh, one of the things that I'm trying to get a little bit more clear and articulate about is like my vision. And I think my vision like is going to kind of, it comes from my motivation. I, I, I know that it's, I know that it's there, but I'm having a hard time and I'm really trying to spend some time like articulating it, like on paper and in my own yeah, head. It's hard. My motivation, right. Is to just you know, improve my life and the lives of people around me, like in whatever capacity I can do that. I mean, I've been, um, I have been fortuitously blessed beyond measure in circumstance, circumstances I've been dropped into in people that I've encountered. I mean, one day I'm hopeful, like if my, if my belief system kind of works itself out and I'm hanging out in heaven one day, 
you know, I'm really interested in having a conversation with God about why things happened for me the way that they mm-hmm. happened. Um, but I think that in, in that, in that, that, that feeling of like an experience of being as fortuitous as I've been is I have a responsibility to try to, um, try to help others kind of get in that same place and have those same experiences. And that's a big motivation for me. I mean, I love being in a position to be able, and I love having the heart of trying to help other people. And look, I mean, man, I mean, honestly, like that is a, certainly a source of motivation. And then there are some days where I do some things in my life to people in my life that I'm like, I look back on and I'm like, God, I am the biggest asshole on the planet. And, um, you know, so again, I, I don't, I don't approach this from, from like a place of perce- or perfection or blindness in terms of the, like the, the times that I fail. But I would say that I don't know that that is my core motivation, but high on my motivation list is wanting to make a really positive impact on my life and then the lives of people around me. And, and I think that, that that is kind of what keeps me getting up every day and approaching my day. Well, knowing you as I do, that's authentic and that's real. And I see that coming through. And I see you as a as a man who leads with his heart, and that's genuine. So, yeah, and you've seen you've seen some of the screw ups too, right? So, well, you know, you get shit, it. you're wait, you're not perfect. <laughs> I'm, I'm still not. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact that I can't be. So, uh, yeah, well, that's you welcome know. to reality. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Jamie, for joining me. I I know that this has been super helpful for myself and just hearing, you know, the world from your perspective is super valuable, not only to me, but also to the listeners. And just want to say thank you so much for, for showing up and for for sharing the way you have. Yeah. And look, I mean, for all your, for all your listeners, I mean, what you didn't experience today is me getting to grill CQ here with questions, (laughs) because this is obviously his podcast, but, you know, I would leave you, if if you're listening to this, you know, continue to tune in because I worked with this guy for, you know, almost eight years, um, very, very, very closely. And, you know, we went from having no marketing presence and really no defined marketing department at Scorpion to doing some really incredible things. And, you know, we talked about today, we talked about my contribution to the growth, but, you know, Corey's contribution to the growth was, you know, equal, if, if not more important than mine. And, um, I know that you're going to get value from, things like this podcast and other things. I know you've got a book coming out. I don't know how That's much right. your listeners know about that, but yep. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And another good friend of ours, Brian Davis wrote a book recently um, mm-hmm. that I read that I got a lot of value from. So looking forward to yours as well. And, and, uh, and yeah, CQ, congratulations, man, on, thanks, on man. all your success. And thanks for, thanks again for inviting me to do this. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm over the moon. It was, it was a lot of fun. So it thank was. you. All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Corey Quinn, and I hope you join me again next time at the B2B Vertical Marketing Podcast.